Hello, my name is Devin, and welcome to Meet Your Doom, a Doom Patrol podcast. Today, we're covering Challengers of the Unknown, number 48, Twilight of the Challengers, published in March 1966, written by Arnold Drake, penciled and inked by Bob Brown, and edited by Murray Boltonoff. Our story picks up from the end of Doom Patrol 101's main story, with the team responding to the Challengers' distress call. They arrive to find them near dead. Cliff and Larry argue over who can better carry them home, and Rita just smiles, apparently over this shit. Back at HQ, the Chief puts the Challengers in a state of near-suspended animation, just like he did with Larry when the negative spirit was running about higgledy-piggledy. However, this time, the Chief has created a nonsense machine that allows him to have in-depth conversations with one of the Challengers as he's essentially comatose. I suppose the backstory machine was broken? Anyway, I also guess I should probably take a moment to explain who exactly the Challengers of the Unknown are. They're Pilot Ace Morgan, Daredevil Red Ryan, Wrestler Rocky Davis, and Diver Prof Haley. However, in reality, they are essentially four interchangeable white guys in terms of both personality and skill sets, in that they are all brave, all good, and all strong. Therefore, their personalities are respectively blonde, redhead, black hair, and brown hair. Having survived a plane crash once, they decided that they live on borrowed time and therefore should all be daredevils. Despite that already apparently being redheads deal, mind you, the plane crash didn't give them superpowers or anything. They merely decided the best response to not dying was to try dying some more. Anyway, the chief talks to Blonde and asks what happened. Blonde tells him that the team got stung by an enemy who turned into a stingray, and now they're at death's door. Ha ha ha! No. Instead, we get a 15-page flashback. The Challengers were off on a desert island, visiting their prisoners. A team known as the Challengers Haters. They actually have more personality than the Challengers? Kind of. They are Drabney, a dude who essentially has a mento helmet, Volcano Man, a 15-foot-tall anthropomorphic lump of lava, Multi-Man, a maniacal super genius with a very tiny body and large head who can shapeshift, and Craw, a robot who is weak against water. The Challengers are being generally horrible to their prisoners, keeping them in solitary confinement, feeding them inedible food, and also waterboarding Craw. But again, it's the 60s, so I guess these are the good guys? However, things start to go poorly when Black Hair reveals he has found a cute bunny on the island. Brown Hair scolds him that this island is lifeless, so that bunny needs to be put back somewhere. Before Black Hair can do anything, the bunny grabs onto him with all its laporidine might, cutting off all circulation to his arm. It's immune to bullets, so there's no stopping it. Multiman reveals that he created the rabbit in his cell with the discarded food products he was fed. He offers to save Black Hair's arm if the Challengers let him and the other Challenger haters go. Against Black Hair's protestations, Blonde agrees. Multiman dumps some acid on the bunny, melting it. And now, against Redhead's protestations, Blonde says that they must let the other Challenger haters go, since they gave their word. In the least surprising twist, after the Challengers release their prisoners, Multiman unleashes more rabbits to attack the Challengers as the Challenger haters try to kill them. The Challengers fight their haters and are doing a good job until they all pass out from too much bunny strangulation. The haters make their escape, but Brownhair manages to get his hand on the acid and melt the bunnies before the team dies. The challengers though decide to take advantage of the situation and fake their deaths to give their haters a sense of confidence. And indeed it works, I guess? I have no idea, because by this point in the story, Multiman has decided to build a giant robot woman and everyone is like, yeah, sure, that's normal. Oh, and he convinces Kraw to not run away but fight with them with the argument that Kraw is weak to water and ruling the world would mean he controls the sea and the sea has water. Yeah, you see why I just completely lost it at this point? Anyway, the Challengers hang out for a week in Florida, either smoking pot or having sex with who? Each other or both, I don't know, until they read enough newspapers and make enough phone calls to conclude that the haters have been stealing supplies to build an underwater base. Which I guess means that the reverse of the other proof is true. Whoever has proximity to water controls the sea, and since the sea is in the world, they control the world. I guess that's how that scheme works. I, 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 
I really don't know by this point. Anyway, they go and fight three of their foes. Drapity's just not there. Volcano Man, Multiman, and Croft all fight them until Multiman turns into the Stingray and gets us back to the initial story. The chief decides to send Cliff, disguised as a normal deep sea diver, to the ocean base to trick Multiman into turning into the Stingray again. Once he does, Cliff severs his tail and takes it back to the headquarters so the chief can devise an antidote. After the team is saved and thawed, Black Hair argues with Cliff about the challengers not needing saving, even though that's literally what the chief just did. So Rita decides she's tired of not having any dialogue and stops the two from fighting. The team gets to the underwater base, just as the haters are fleeing in a rocket sub. They attach a tracker and follow. Meanwhile, Drabney, who was the guy in the mento helmet, was apparently like looking for the challengers off on the mainland, and he now gets back and he swims back to the underwater base. However, nobody decided to warn him it was booby-trapped, and he sets off an explosion and literally fucking dies. I'm serious. He never appears in another comic again after this one. Brian's eyes, as I say this, are really shocked and sad and I wish I could photograph it for you people. Anyway, the three surviving villains and the now standing giant robot woman have a moment of silence before heading to just like look at how cool their island hideout is. Both the challengers and the Doom Patrol intercept them there. After some fighting, the two heroic teams get the upper hand by Rita doing some judo against the giant robot woman, Cliff using a fire extinguisher against Volcano Man, and Blonde activating a magnet against Krah. It's all going well until Multiman holds the chief at gunpoint and negotiates his allies' escape. The teams comply, but vow to catch the haters another day. To be continued. And now joining us is my husband, Brian. Hi, Brian. Hey, Devin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So we are venturing into some unknown territory with the challenging story. Okay, so had you heard of the challengers of the unknown before this issue? Oh, dear God, no. (laughs) Yeah, no. Had you? Yeah, so my first familiarity with them was DC back in 1999 had a mini-series type thing called The Silver Age. Long story short, uh, the villains all swapped brains with the main heroes, and it became a way for DC to kind of revisit a lot of Silver Age titles and characters in very much a Silver Age style. And that was my first encounter with them. That was my first encounter actually with the Doom Patrol. Except whereas I start to see the Doom Patrol pop up other places, the Challengers really don't. They come back once every maybe 15 years for a miniseries, if even. And then they just fade into obscurity. And I think the only time you would have encountered them is Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Oh, they were in Teen Titans Go to the Movies? Yeah, they are, they are the ones who talk very much like this. We are going to see the picture show. Yeah, that's not how I imagine these weird twinkish uh, superheroes talking at all. Oh, see, that totally informed how I read them. And they are very much like those cardboard cutout 1950s, like, good guy, bland superhero type figures. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. The one other place you might kind of recognize them from is they do pop up in Doom Patrol Season 2 in a way. The, Were they the guys in the spaceship with that other negative person? Yeah, they are the pioneers of the Uncharted. So they oh, are. In, oh, so they kind of renamed them a little bit, but it's a homage to these exactly. people. Okay. I, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah, but as you see, like between the fact that they don't even get a full actual reference in the Doom Patrol show, or that in Teen Titans the joke is they are very outdated. These are just characters that never really made the transition to the Bronze Age or the Modern Age. And I at least can really see why, but I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard right now because in this story, it's a lot of flashback and introducing their various arch nemeses, which also feel like very much carbon copies, not really car- like slightly smudged carbon copies of other people's nemeses. Like they all feel like they're copies of like Doom Patrol villains and maybe like Batman or Superman villains. So it didn't feel like it was the most original team. And the personalities of these four men didn't really stand out at all or differentiate, but they were sleepy a lot of the time. (laughs) I mean, they were sleepy a lot of the time, but no, you're right. That amazing to me to read this is this is their title. By all means, this should feel more like their title and I'm getting introduced to the Doom Patrol. But as I was reading this, I was like, 
The Doom Patrol, even here, had more fleshed out personalities. That was showing a bit. Aside from Rita, who was sitting in the back and smiling a lot of the time, and that's it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I started to like really try to give them personalities. And the most I could get is like, black hair maybe was strong? Yeah, black hair was strong man of the team he was the cliff basically and i thought maybe he was the hothead but also the redhead was the hothead yeah i think the strong man was kind of dumbish basically like he was supposed to be less like intelligent than than the other ones which the only time i really see that happen is he has the bunny and he's really happy with the bunny and you get like kind of like an of mice and men thing going on there oh i found him on the beach when we landed cute little bunny a And then the bunny becomes terrifying. The only thing else I want to say about the Challengers is they were actually created by Jack Kirby. Do you know who Jack Kirby is? I've heard the name, and I feel like I should know, but I can't place it right now because I'm tired. That's okay. He is a Disney legend now. Mm. Um, He was the co-creator of the Fantastic Four, as well as Captain America, Thor, Hulk, the X-Men. The big ones, yeah. Yeah, with the exception of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange with Steve Ditko. Did he create the Challengers before he created all these other ones, or did greet them after yes okay so the challengers were 1958 i believe uh fantastic four is his first big collaboration with stan lee and that's 1961 okay yeah because it does feel like it's very premature like they're not fully baked yeah and so there's been a lot of talk in the comics community over the past couple decades to essentially reassess how much stan lee had and how much the artists had in terms of input and credit for the success and a lot of that talk over the past i would say three years decades or so has been kind of taking stuff away from San Lee and rightfully giving it to the artists. That being said, I would say looking at the challengers who are very similar to the Fantastic Four Mm -hmm. in that they are four people who survive a plane crash and then become heroes and seeing in just a three-year difference how, and I read some of those early Kirby issues in preparation for this, how bad those issues are and how good, I've started rereading some early Fantastic Four, how good those are. It is, it's at least a statement that that yes, 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 Kirby deserves so much credit for Fantastic Four. But reading those two, I'm like, oh yeah, Stan Lee did contribute something. That makes sense, yeah. I mean, obviously, it seems like Kirby has the idea of a team um, and Stanley at least kind of gave them, like, resuscitated them a little bit, kind of like the Chief did, <laughs> to allow him to play with them more as the story goes along. Yeah, no, I mean, Stanley, for all his bombastic dialogue, can create some good trope characters that then allows Kirby to have a lot more fun. But this is not a Fantastic Four podcast, nor is it a Challengers of the Unknown podcast. It's not, so we should probably talk about why we're talking about this. Yeah, so let's go to that cover. What do you think of that cover? That cover, I have to look at it from the eyes of a reader of the Challengers of the Unknown, where it is very sad to see your heroes. I guess people liked them. They were continued series for a while. To see them being carried by this other team and like this kind of dire situation. And it looks almost like Cliff is crying. And then, yeah, Rita and Larry both have the very somber expression. I think Cliff is crying, which really makes me wonder, did the chief install tear ducts? I think they're they're just for moments like this when he's like, okay, Cliff, now I need a close-up shot of you in the mirror. Very sad. This is just making Rita even more ignored. From the fact that, remember how we've been talking about the recent episode, she's just kind of over the rest of the team? Yeah. Like, the fact that now she's not even there to emote, that the chief has outsourced her emoting to Cliff. That is sad. Do you think she's on strike, maybe? Good for her. And Cliff is picket crossing? Uh, So he's a scab? Yeah. I mean, we already know him and Larry are scabs. That is canonical. No, we said that they were not scabs. They basically just used their superpowers to build a tower very quickly. Yeah, but they also were talking about not ever being in union jobs. I think they said they didn't want to join union jobs because they would make it too hard for the actual union people to compete. scabs (laughs) anyway yeah i do also just want to point out now that you've talked about the fantastic four a fantastic first on the top there also oh yeah yeah because by this point the fantastic four were they they were created right they were not only created they were incredibly successful i mean i would argue that the doom patrol is very much a marvel informed series in that unlike most dc teams as we see with the challengers where everyone gets along everyone is kind of like goody goody mm-hmm. the idea that you have a lot of infighting in the team is very much a comic thing that begins with the fantastic four and the fantastic four kind of like solidifies a lot of those tropes even when we were talking about like beast boy and cliff's dynamic is very human torch thing that makes sense 
Did you have any thoughts about the cover? I am assuming that you did. Mainly it was Cliff crying and me wondering, does he control the tear ducts or does the chief? I think the chief probably does. Yeah, that seems about right. I could also see the chief being like, mm, no, this is not sad enough. You do not get the tear ducts for this. Yeah, because it probably does corrode his cheekbones a little bit. I mean, again, I think like a raindrop corrodes those cheekbones. True. But also I think like he wants the teardrops to drip and they're going to eventually drip in front of the camera and he gets crying tears in front of the camera. So he's able to... To experience it that way yeah anyway anyway so shall we talk about them rushing into their crash landing where they're all passed out because they're smelling their nasty nasty armpits okay yeah uh, well i set up the conversation i need you to carry it on okay <laughs> yeah i felt like the issue was calling us out on how much we spend on the first few pages with yeah. the opening copy is what's coming off here four frenzied freaks invading the challenger's mountain fortress that wild weird and wacky quartet the doom patrol muscling in on ace prof red and rocky here is a yarn that starts at the highest peak of excitement and just keeps going up so stop wasting time on this blurb and jump into twilight of the challengers Okay, I always get annoyed when you get something like, it starts at the highest peak and keeps going up. Like, no, then you're not at the highest peak. Yeah, like, unless there is additionally a crazy earthquake happening at the same time that is pushing this mountain taller. You outbride yourself! (laughs) I know. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. (laughs) And now you get a Christmas chicken turkey. (laughs) (laughs) The one as big as me. Oh my god, the fact that you went from explaining something that didn't make sense into Victorian pauper is just like, okay, you are just hitting all your highlights right now. This is what happens when we have two beers at a brewery and then decide, you know what, let's just record the episode. This is also how you see how low our tolerance is, viewers, or listeners. (laughs) Viewers. (laughs) Uh, That's staying in. So yeah, they have toxic armpits is my first note. I enjoyed that Arnold Drake realized he was trying way too hard with some of his gags. Yeah. I do love the detail on the plane, though. Like, seeing where the wheel comes out of the wing. Pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I think Bob Brown did a really good job in this issue. Yeah, I mean, granted, he draws some really creepy faces in this issue. He does. And I read who did it, and then it went out of my head. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, my God, the chief's face is horrific like this whoever is this challenger's artist he's not getting the doom patrol down very well yeah and we're looking at the same one when he's shouting into the microphone right yeah okay how would you describe that that is angry caveman shouting at the dentist i don't know i had angry chimpanzee so close to caveman Mm -hmm. angry chimpanzee zombie sock puppet Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Also, like, his hand, like, pulling at his unbuttoned shirt there. Yeah. It's just so weird. He's so disheveled in that image. Yeah, why is he so disheveled over talking to a microphone? This is literally what he does all the time. (laughs) Yes, he is a talker. In the previous panel, he still is, like, all buttoned up and everything. Maybe all... I'm gonna pull Brian. Oh, actually, can I pull a Brian first? Okay, let's have dueling Brian's. Yeah. Can there be a sound effect for dueling Brian's? Pachow, pachow! <laughs> He's like a person who, if you look at his microphone, it does look like an old-fashioned phone. So he's the kind of person who thinks that you have to shout into a phone for the person on the other side to hear you. Ah. Because he's talking to sleepy, sleepy Ace Morgan, he has to shout even louder to get into his coma brain. Okay. Yeah. And what is your thinking, other Brian? My thinking was that because they're in the cryogenic chamber, it's actually using all of the AC and it's getting quite hot in there. And that is why the chief needs to unbutton his shirt a little bit. Because it's to take off all his clothes. Yep. He is a foxy grandpa getting so hot. (laughs) Yep. So yeah. (laughs) Arnold Drake was working his similes real hard this episode. We got a lot of them, but I think my favorite might have been uh, Larry saying he would be as gentle as a TNT expert. Oh yeah, which is actually pretty cute. Callback to like issue with the TNT shack. That was the second issue, but I actually was wondering like, because you know how all those shacks are just, and particularly on farms are filled with TNT. Yeah, rocks. Yeah, is... (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about the rocks. I thought it was the TNT would be dressed as chickens, so the foxes would try to steal the TNT instead of the chickens. 
Oh, that was one of our theories. The other one was like they just wanted to get rid of rocks in their farms. I was just wondering, like, are farmers TNT experts in this? Is Larry just like, I'll be as gentle as a farmer? I guess so. I mean, farmers do use a lot of chemicals that can become explosives. Yeah. But yeah, I guess they are. Yeah, I think, like, you would just call a farmer if you need a bomb detonated in the DCU. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably better than the LAPD. Yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. So Rita's face. On which page? Bottom of page two. Where she's so happy. She is so fucking happy that they have these nearly dead men around her yeah like does she have any lines in this story she has no lines until like page 16 or 17 dear god i think she is on strike but i think like she kind of has to be there still i don't know anyway so he shouts to the void of their sleepiness and somehow the sleep machine communication device Gives us a, like, 10, 12-page backstory. Oh, my God. Yeah. This backstory. Insane. Yeah. Okay. Opening thoughts on it, because there's a lot to say. It actually reminded me a lot of the Arrow Island from the CW TV show. Yes! Oh, my God! Yeah. Like, it's you abandon your arch nemeses on an island where they're in isolation. And not even, like, it's isolation, but it's also, like, I think the worst part is the the robot who gets watered on constantly. The waterboarding. Yeah. Yeah. That's bad. I think, honestly, the volcano man being chained that he can't even move is also really bad. Like, it's not only isolation, it's complete physical deprivation. Yeah, because it's like all they need to have is the, like, the belt on him. Like, he could have moved around. Yeah. I guess he could take it off with his hands or his feet. Yeah, I don't know. And do you think they were actually feeding them dog biscuits, raw fish, and warm apricot juice? I don't think so. Well, I think they might because all the prisoners respond, black. And I, I think there's a little bit of, not schadenfreude, uh, what's that other term where you kind of become friends with your captor? Oh, Stockholm Syndrome, but apparently that's like has a whole weird history of that terminology. Oh. It talked about on Tighten Up the Defense, actually, at one point. Oh, interesting. That basically, and now this is a weird podcast echo chamber happening, but basically the history of Stockholm Syndrome is this one psychiatrist was hired by the police, and it was a hostage situation, and they knew that like one of the women who was a hostage was like, if you send in the police, we're probably going to die so can you please like try to talk them down instead mm-hmm. and the psychiatrist is like oh that crazy woman she probably has just bonded with her captors and that's why she doesn't want us sending in the police oh that's crazy okay that's not what i thought that was going it's pretty interesting so yeah that is pretty cool but i wonder if it was maybe like let's just uh be a little playful with these guys and maybe they'll be our friends and let us out but yeah i don't know I, I think they're just cold, both hearted, and in their little chambers. Especially the guy who's not wearing pants. Well, who's not wearing pants? Multi-man dude? Oh, no, sorry. I meant that the cold people are the ones who, like, the challengers. Oh, Because yeah. they're, like, frozen to keep them alive. We didn't really explain that, but whatever. I explained it in the summary. That's a good place to have explained it. But Multi-man, yeah, is... He's Mr. Mix plus... Get- Base almost makes sense, but like, yeah, he seems like more like a shapeshifter and genius. I at first thought he was an other dimensional imp because he has that look, and then I read up on him, and no, he's just some dude who can shapeshift. And apparently, like, whenever he dies, he comes back with a different superpower. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I also had a question because I hate apricots. Mm-hmm. Is warm apricot juice actually like really horrible, or is that supposed to be like a case of like dog biscuits, raw fish? And something that's bad but not horrible. I mean, I don't think you really want any kind of warm juice. Okay, so like warm apple juice would have been the same problem. I mean, do you drink warm apple juice? We drink hot cider. I think there's a difference between warm and hot. My aunt would agree. Yeah, you don't want warm coffee. I do, actually. You know I do. I mean, you don't want scalding hot coffee, but some people do. It brings out more of the flavor. The burnt flesh of your tongue flavor. Anyway. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about the Challengers haters. Yeah, so you got Craw, an ancient alien who does not like to be waterboarded. Yeah, which is, I feel like, a very fair objection. Yeah, Volcano Man who's volcano-y and some crazy old guy. Yeah, Drabney, who is actually one of the issues I read, who essentially has like a mental helmet, but I found his threat a little weird. If I had my telekinetic helmet, I'd think a 10-foot hole and kick all of you into it with a 10-foot foot. I feel like a 10-foot hole is not that big. My question is, is it in circumference or depth? Either way. True. If you have four people 
and a 10-foot hole. And these four people have like generic 1950s strong athlete skills. You're getting out of that hole pretty easily. So if it's depth and his foot is also 10 feet, I feel like it's I'm going to kick you and squish you like a, a cylinder in a car. Like you're going to like get squished. But he would say, I would stomp you into a 10-foot hole with a 10-foot foot. I think the apricot juice is probably actually just fermented by now. I'm also thinking, like, I don't know why, but I feel like warm apricot juice is almost certainly a laxative. So is that just their buttholes going blah? <laughs> 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 Yeah, so, and then creepy short pants guy, who's apparently the brains of this operation. I also just noticed the, like, hourglasses on their tunics. Yeah, because they live on borrowed time. Oh, yeah, that's their thing, is, like, they crashed, and they be, they're like, well, we're gonna die at some point, so we might as well be superheroes. Yeah, it's really, really dumb. That's stupid. But short pants is the ultimate rat fink. He is. Do you want to know the origin of the word fink? Mama Tui continues to call me gushing over the fact that we get to continue to talk about the word fink because it brings her so many memories. Aw. Fink was actually an insult that originated in colleges to insult people who were not in fraternities. Really? Because it comes from finch, which would be a bird that would be flying around uncaged. Oh, ooh, That's weird. Yeah. But, like, the majority of people were not in fraternities or sororities right or or were they? i think most people were especially in like the early 1900s yeah because uh colleges were much smaller then so yeah it would be like 100 people in a class or something and like 90 of them would be in a fraternity or fraternities were bigger or i don't know i think they were bigger yeah but yeah so that's our etymology lesson of the day hmm. interesting so the bunny tries to kill him and then we get a good grief. We get our good grief. Yeah. I honestly loved this whole bunny thing. Yeah. This was easily my favorite part of the issue. It is weird. It is creepy. Mm-hmm. I like that it kind of started to give black hair a little bit of a personality that he was like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. And yeah, that panel of them just shooting the bunny and it just like not doing anything and red hair saying, good Grief, I fired it at point blank three times, and it's still alive. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, good grief. It's great. The bunny is, like, humping the shit out of Black Hair's arm. Oh, I don't think it's humping. Is it humping? It looks like it's humping in that picture. I think because there's some weird, like, motion lines. I think it's just the emotion of it getting shot. If it's humping, it is angry. Oh, it's it's angry humping. I'm not going to argue there. But I enjoyed overall the whole, like, fight against the bunnies, especially when they all have bunnies on them. Mm -hmm. Because it felt very video game. Like, it had that moment of, like, oh, you have to get this task done before the bunnies just suffocate you. Yeah. But I will say, like, for men who are living on borrowed time, and he's saying, don't let them out. Just let me die. Like, they should just let him die. Agreed. Not only should they let him die, I was really annoyed with blonde hair's Michelle Obama, they go low, we go high stuff, Mm -hmm. where he says, okay, now we keep our half of the bargain by releasing the others. And after red hair objects, if we don't red, we're no better than they are. Okay, aside from the fact that they were torturing prisoners, if we're going to actually assume, like, these people are dangerous to the rest of humanity, yes, you are still better than they are. Yeah. You can lie about negotiations made under duress to de-escalate a situation, and that's still okay. I don't think releasing multiple mass murderers because the other option is lying is like so you guys are fine with solitary confinement but you're not okay with lying yeah that's dumb i just it bothers me so much the only thing that makes the part better is that the name game is apparently how you kill a bunny the name game brian brian oh. bobian free five for fine bye bye bobian Brian. Well, no, it's the acid <laughs> that he sprinkles on them that does it. But he still sings the name game. Oh, yeah, because he's pretty great. Yeah. Um, challengers, challengers, Bo Ballingers, Banana, Banana, Bo Ballingers, Fee, Fi, Mo Ballingers, Challengers. Yeah, so they become Smurfs. Yeah, they get really blue from these bunnies. I mean, they are suffocating them. <laughs> so I did like the weird insert stories in mm-hmm. here. Let's talk about them. We can talk about it. The main thing I was struck by this Spectre, who is referred to as the most fabulous hero of the golden age of comics, was I did not realize the golden age was that old of a term. Oh, wow. Yeah. To have like been referring to itself as the golden age. Yeah. That this is 19, like 65 or 66. And the golden age was already the golden age. I was not 
aware of that, actually. I thought that was more of like a 1980s type of... So the Golden Age, to me, does feel like it's a marketing term. So I'm not that surprised that it exists, but I am surprised. I'm not flabbergasted. I am just gasted. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, they find the solvent, and they're able to save themselves. Yep. Um, So we flash to the bad guys building a giant woman for some reason. Yeah, and they just act like this is normal. I guess this is the one point where I'm like, I guess if I were a Challengers reader, this would make sense to me. Yeah. And, oh yeah, but we also skim past the fact that they're going to just pretend to be dead for some reason. Like, they're going to let the bad guys go out into the world and do bad things while they pretend to be dead. They deserved to smell their armpits and pass out. There's no good way to read this. Either they are being incredibly inhumane to prisoners, and they're letting them run around free afterwards. Yeah. So either the prisoners are not that bad, in which case it was horrible to be inhumane to them, Mm -hmm. or they were that bad, in which case they shouldn't be running around free. Pretty much. Yeah. Did you understand that whole water thing, or was that like... Oh, that made sense to me. Yeah, when he was splashing water on him. I mean, I understood why he was splashing water, but the idea of like, if I control the world, I control the sea, and therefore I could control you. Bwahahaha. Oh yeah, that part. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me, honestly, because do you remember when the Suez Canal got blocked and how like our whole shipping system got like completely fucked for a while in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can control shipments across the oceans, you can cripple the world economy. I would have liked some acknowledgement of that, but sure, why not? I mean, there's the big shippy ship going down the, the swoopy swoop. <laughs> Going in the whirlpool. Okay. Yeah. I think the merchant marines were a much bigger thing in the 60s. And so it's like you just know that boats float and give you things. Okay, speaking of merchant marines, let's go back to the part of my synopsis that you had issue with, which is they're totally having sex with each other, right? Are they? I mean, I guess they have been in this room for weeks. And I think there's something about, particularly when I was reading these old Challengers issues, there is a bit of a homoerotic nature to it. A lot of times when they're hanging out, they're hanging out in like pants and white undershirts. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that in the 1950s is like being practically naked. When was Greece set? But they still had a leather jacket over their undershirts and they were greaser than they were bad boys. And these are good boys. Yeah, no, these are like very good boys. So the idea that they hang out in like their white undershirts together means But only like, like one of them isn't a white undershirt, but it's also like a turtleneck. Oh no, I'm talking about like the other issues I was reading. Oh, okay. So these, I think that's ghosted by the time I got to this one. I'm like, okay, so they're like fucking, right? Because that guy also has pot leaves all over his shirt. So you know he's like getting high and then like making out with the rest of them. Yes. <laughs> And dart guy Rocky, I guess, is throwing a dart to see which one he's going to have sex with next. Yeah. Okay. Okay, what else would you do if if you were stuck in a room? I mean, granted, if you were stuck in a room with three guys for a week, I know what you would do. I would say, hello, fellows. Shall we play euchre? There's four of us. (laughs) And then I would meld my fingers together when we're like at 10 points and we need to get one more point. And I'd be like, okay, here are my thumbs pointing down. Do you want to milk the cow? <laughs> what? I am so afraid of Indiana. We need to play Euchre. Come on. Oh, God. Anyway. I think we can play with Patty. I'm sure she knows Euchre. Anyway. What did cafeteria food ever do to Arnold Drake? Oh, yeah. He must have had a really bad high school, elementary school, and middle school experience. Or I think it might be the cafeteria at, like, D.C. or something. Yeah. But, yeah, again, we get, just like that donut a few issues ago, we get Red Hair saying, nuts, this is like looking for a clam in a bowl of cafeteria chowder. Were there just not clams and clam chowder in the cafeteria? Was it just potatoes? But that's just a potato chowder. Why did they not just call it a potato chowder? I mean, they just call it chowder. But why then is he expecting a clam? Like, I don't expect clams in all of my chowder. I think he's like, this is cheap chowder. But there's a lot of really good... Good chowders that don't have clouds. Chicken chowder? Chicken chowder is a thing. Yeah, I've made you chicken chowder. Did you call it chowder? Yeah, it was chicken corn chowder. Oh, chicken corn soup. No, because it's a thicker base. Chow. There's potato chowder. There's just a corn chowder. We are getting very off topic. Yeah. Like, I have half a page of notes, and somehow we're rambling. I have two pages of notes. Included in my notes was also the fact that judo is apparently just magic in comic books in the 60s. True. But, I mean, I think the thing is, so we're jumping ahead to the fight underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, no, the water should be hurting you. But, ah, because we're underwater, I shall use the water like an astronaut 
training and space that is reducing your weight and flip you over with a judo swoosh. That's not how water works. You can't just lift up like giant multi-ton things because you're in water. There's buoyancy to him. It's going to make him lighter, but not like you don't have suddenly super strength in water. It just means there's like a little bit of easiness to it. Is it Rocky though? Because Rocky's like super strong. What? I'm trying to figure out who that is. I think it's the prof, but I'm really not sure. I think his haircut looks a little different from Rocky's. Yeah, Rocky, I think. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, because the prof says, Rocky, my boy, you're still long on muscle and short on brains. Didn't you know that water resistance would stop it? Being the anchor he threw at uh, Croft. The thing to do is to use water to your advantage, like this. Judo toss. On the surface, I could never lift this walking junkyard. But down here, the water does half the work. You still have to, like, lift half a robot, which is still really heavy. But, no, that is a thing in 1960s comics of, like, Cap can, like, defeat a villain who is like 20 tons with judo and leverage somehow. It's just like in Star Trek, where like, if you hit them with one fist, not good. Double fist to the back of the neck, you're gonna knock them out. Maybe things were just more fragile in the 60s. Just like their masculinity was very fragile. I was, that's better than what I was gonna say. I was like, maybe like a fly just hit Kennedy when he was like driving, and he was just like... Ow! What that voice I just did for John F. Kennedy. Well, he was dying, so that was probably not something he was considering. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, they were going pretty fast on that motorcade. Yeah, and he was just more fragile. Yeah. We're going to get so much hate mail from the Kennedy family, who definitely listens to this podcast. We do. Ha- we have crossed 3,000 downloads. <laughs> and there are not 3,000 Kennedys, so I'm sure they are all listening to each episode. Anyway, I do like when... So they're still dealing with a robot who apparently has rocket feet. Mm-hmm. Cool. As he's going between the little boulders, there's a 25 cent toll for passing between boulders. And don't say nobody told ya. Oh, I love a good dad joke. That is a good dad joke. I was trying to figure out when Red Hair says, No such luck. The chain melted like Brand X chocolate in a kid's fist. Is- you think it's like not M&M's? That's what I was trying to figure out. But then I'm like, but Brand X chocolate then would have use. Is Brand X chocolate just a melting chocolate? Like, is it like a chocolate you use to create a candy coating? Is it good for s'mores? I think Brand X is like the bad brand. Yeah, but then the thing is the bad brand still has many uses. It's like Halloween candy. Like, it's the bad Halloween candy. No, but in this, a easily melting chocolate has actual uses, again, be it for creating a chocolate coating or much like how Hershey's kind of meh quality lends itself well to a s'mores. Mm, True. I am defending Brand X here. Well, aren't you just a patsy? (laughs) Yeah. But then on top of all of these, I think the best was how dad-like, not daddy, just dad-like, they were when one of them, I think this is black hair, says, I'll say one thing, M.M., that is multi-man. Stretches a lot further than the dollar does these days. I loved that line. Oh that, my god. They were just the challengers are so aggressively uncool. Okay. You know what they are? They are three men. Four. Four. <laughs> <laughs> they are four men having a midlife crisis. Hence the dad jokes. That's what's amazing is in comics canon, if I were to look it up, they're probably like 25, 29 at maximum. I don't understand 25-year-olds who look older than me. Like, that is a thing. And I'm like, how are you a daddy? I'm turning 34. Oh, Instagram. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, so then they get stung by the jellyfish and they pass out. So the jellyfish gave them bad B.O. Yeah. So and I know they got bad B.O. And they were able to, while they're underwater, be like, oh, no, I'm hurt. They still get into their plane and be like, oh, no, I'm hurt. Yeah. I mean, this is probably, especially considering, like, they have to deal with the bends. Yeah. So, like, they'll have to, like, go up pretty slowly. This is probably at least a two to three hour. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. For the next two or three hours and i don't know if if this is a standard thing in comics to always keep telling you to keep reading at the bottom of a panel but it seems like it's just like please dear god keep (laughs) reading the story there's another one coming there's the other half is gonna happen in doom patrol we spent so much money on this and we know it's horrible but please keep reading it's something i particularly associate with this era of dc 
I really feel bad that this is the second issue in a row that Cliff had to deal with robot gatekeeping. Oh, yeah. That, again, the robot, in this case, Craw, calls him a miserable excuse for a robot body. Yeah. It's like he, he is a robotic body. Yeah. With a brain inside. Craw, I don't know what you are. Are you just a robot? I can't remember. I think he is. Yeah. But yeah, no, I just feel bad. Cliff is getting a lot of gatekeeping here. Yeah. But at least Cliff blows him up, I guess? Uh, he at least... Oh, I guess he just disables him. Yeah. Oh, he takes off his shield so the water uh, deals with him. Yeah. Craw, baby. That's actually pretty good. That is pretty good. Uh, then we get the sea anemone. Yep. Which I really enjoyed Cliff bursting out of his head like Athena out of Zeus's skull. Oh, that is great. Yeah. Yeah. And then Cliff gets to snap off the... I know we said it was a stingray, but I think it's also just like an angry flat balloon. Yeah, it does have that kind of angry balloon look to it. It looks like the man in the moon. From the 1902 film? Yeah. Yeah. And why is the water constantly changing colors? All right. So they wake him up. (laughs) They're covered in frost. Yeah, I have my note here when Black Hair says... Look, you reject from a scrapyard. The challengers don't need nobody to pull our cookies out of the oven. And Cliff responds, don't need nobody. Where'd you learn the language, Stone Skull? Mrs. Moore's Academy for Kindergarten Dropouts. I did have a note that this was very internet of Cliff, Mm -hmm. that he literally has evidence that the challengers, in fact, did need people to help them. The challengers, in fact, called the chief for help. Yeah, not even going to that fact. He's just correcting the grammar, which is the most internet response. Yeah, but it's also like... Why is Rocky... His name is Black Hair. Yeah, why is Black Hair angry? And I answered my own question before you corrected my naming of him. Is that he just wants to die. He is probably constantly being final destination. Like, he didn't die in that airplane crash. And he's just like, just get it over with. I made the bunny. (laughs) (laughs) See, I thought you were going to say he wants to die because he just wants... Maybe in heaven he'll have a personality. That too. Speaking of dying, though... Yeah. Yeah, Darnby or Cranby. Drabney. Drabney. (laughs) Okay. So I really thought he's going to come back. And it was just a misunderstanding when it goes kawoomba room. And you did research. And this is the last time Drabney's ever seen. Yes. So Drabney, and this is amazing. He premieres in Challengers of the Unknown number eight. So he had been a recurring villain created by Jack Kirby who dies because he went out to like find the challenger somewhere and then they the challenger's hater just planted a bomb at their base and didn't tell him at the bad guy's base yeah where they're building the giant woman yeah but regardless they never told him and he just blows up and they're like as cross says well that's the way the pizza crumbles pizza doesn't even crumble i mean if you don't make a good pizza it's gonna crumble it's gonna be a really bad pizza yeah which, that actually is not something to say, well, that's the way the pizza crumbles, because if the pizza's crumbling, that actually is a lot to mourn, because you would be not having good pizza. Yeah. But yeah, he dies over this silly misunderstanding and never comes back. Yeah. Like, to the point of, I really want somebody to bring him back. How has he not come back? Yeah, that's insane. That is insane that in this issue, this story, this wonderful, wonderful story. They killed off a, I guess, major character who I have no idea who he is, but I'm sure that was, like, traumatic, potentially. I'm wondering who are these challengers of the unknown readers? Like, I'm just thinking being a kid in the 1960s when you have all of Marvel and then, like, DC even doing cool things, and you're like, I'm gonna read Challengers of the Unknown and this is a useful way to spend my time to enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. I just don't know who these people were. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Unless it was, like, people who just bought, like, every comic. Maybe. So it was just rich kids? That would make sense, actually. Yeah. They don't have taste. Yeah. Yeah, so giant woman with her weird hair and awesome collar. I mean, her outfit is on point. Yeah. She has a little baby cape, too. Oh, yeah. I guess that's her collar is, like, the little cape thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what she's wearing? She's wearing, like, the same clothing as Mr. McBiscuit. Mr. Multi-man, yeah, because I think this is multi-woman, which I don't understand the logic that, like, multi-woman is really, really big. I really love when multi-woman and Rita, my god, I almost forgot her name, because she hasn't had a personality for the past two issues, um, are fighting, and she, like, grabs her by the hair, and she, like is able to shrink really quickly. I really enjoy that this, I think, is the first time Rita's using her growing and shrinking mid-fight, not just of like, oh, this is a task that requires me to be small, this is a task that requires me to be big, but rather the idea that 
changing size quickly can disorient the opponent in really useful ways. Yeah, and she also has the brilliant line of, Happy landings, Mr. Rector set of 1965. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I do love after, like, she's tangled up multi-woman that like in the next panel multi-man is just like doing the little sneak 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 off yeah 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 so they fight them and then the chief is having a giant gun point at his face it's not a giant gun it's a gun multi-man small yeah it's a normal size gun yeah and so they let him go away yeah because of course they do yeah yeah and then sorry i I do love that, like, the position of black hair is, like, I'm just going to mansplain to you in the last panel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Skip it, Dad. Multiman never got his big underwater scheme going, so figures he'll try again. And we'll all get another chance at that egg hood. Which I guess is, like, egg head. Yeah, but he has a bad head. Yeah. Do we get to awards? Oh, yes, please. Okay, who'd you have as your best member? I said it was Cliff... Just because he did the most. He, like, scuba-dived. Yeah, also, he scuba-dived, he carried some of them, and he just generally feels as over the challengers as we feel. Yeah, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't want to engage with him, but he does when he's having that fight with, like, the, your grammar is bad. Yeah, but, like, even when he does, I'm like, you know what? I get it. I can really relate that if you were around just these four dudes the whole time, Mm Mm-hmm. And listening to them tell that really long story when they could have just, like, told you, we got stung by a stingray. And you know that story must have been told very slowly because they were super cold. Oh, yeah. No. I, Team Cliff. Yeah. Who was yours? Same. Cool. What was your favorite nonsense? My favorite nonsense, I think, was nobody telling Drabney that they were going to booby trap the underwater base. That is pretty great. Yeah, that was, I, the fact that nobody told him he dies over this very easily avoidable misunderstanding and they have that moment of silence and then they're just like, well, time to tour our new home. I think they were probably just mad at him for his stupid 10 foot, whole 10 foot foot analogy. (laughs) You know what? You're not, you're not for us anymore. Yeah, you are. If you did this, they would escape so easily because a 10 foot hole is really easy to get out of if you have a group of four athletic men. Yeah, yeah. How about yours? My favorite nonsense was maybe a cheat, and you can tell me if it was. The brainwave flashback machine, being able to, like, shout loudly into a microphone and then get a 20-billion-page story. I just don't know why did the chief not use his backstory machine. Yeah, he could have just, like, taken their blood, because... You know what? He wouldn't have to ask their consent because he's the chief. He doesn't care about consent. Even beyond that, he could just press a few buttons and he would have figured it all out. Yeah. What was their last mission? Island. Delivery apricot juice. The bad guys. Must have been a stingray. Stingray venom. Bad. Antidote. Yeah, it does feel very complicated. I also started getting very confused when, like, the chief was talking and you could, like, see the quotes in the speech bubbles. I'm like, how much do you think the chief is accentuating those quotes? Not enough. Oh, I think a lot sometimes. Like, I think we're getting stuff like, Ace Morgan, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're not actually hearing me. This is more just, like, going into your brain directly into the language processing center. This is not auditory analysis. This is just brainwave analysis. Yeah. So, if I were to ask you your favorite panel, would you have one? The humping bunny. Oh my god, mine too. I did not go with it being a humping bunny. The rage of getting shot. Oh yeah, but like, it is a perfect combination of terrifying and cute. No, it is. Because bunnies are cute. Debatable, some might say. But the gunshots into it, those are very terrifying. Yeah. and But the bunny like, just looks like, fuck you. Yeah. I mean, you think like, that's going to do anything? I'm a fucking crazy bunny. Yeah. And you know what? There's 50 billion more of me. Yeah, because I'm humping them out right now. I'm pooping my babies. Yeah. Babies. <laughs> yeah. Favorite line. I have a few favorite lines. So the first one is... There's a 25 cent toll for passing between boulders and don't say nobody told ya. That was pretty great. Just because I love a good dad joke. That's a good like play on words. And then why don't we camp here for the night, daddy? I'll pitch a tent. Yep. Yep. But I think probably my one that I'm going to have to go with is I'm as cold as a barefoot bugle boy at Valley Forge. That is really good. Yeah. Because it does make me think of how much Lafayette would just refer to the people at Valley Forge as naked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I think I ultimately have to go as, holy cow, I'm going to be a blue plate special for a cannibal cucumber. But there were quite a few runner-ups. I don't want to go through all of them. We've, we've talked about quite a few of them already. That being said, I did want to give a shout out to all the really bad art puns when they're in the sex hotel. Hey, dig this. London. Artistic felons steal $2 million painting. Daddy-o. That's a lot of oil. And there's another guy now. Nothing there. The only art that interests Multiman is the art of destruction. Yeah, just, oh god, the challengers are so boring. <laughs> yeah, they were so boring. And I think that's probably why Rita was so tuned out, this issue. I don't know Rita's sexuality. I guess she probably is straight. I mean, she's at least interested in heterosexual relationships as one option because of Mento true yeah um but i think she has like a little bit of an edge to it because there's one thing i wanted to mention was her like here's a knot i learned from the campfire girls it's for tying up boy scouts <laughs> like rita oof, oof. <laughs> yeah and i think she is just she's just around these really four boring men and she's had enough of that in hollywood and she's just out of it true and like these are four boring men who nearly died and they're still vanilla or maybe they're not vanilla because they've all just decided to become a quadruple? A quartet is maybe probably what you would call that. Maybe they're brand X chocolate. Maybe. On that note, outro. Yeah. Meet Your Doom is recorded and produced in Inglewood, California. You can check out new episodes every three Fridays on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like our podcast, please review us and tell all your friends. If you don't like our podcast, well, it's better underwater. You can listen to it in half the time using judo. You can follow us at Meet Your Doom Pod on Instagram or email us at meetyourdoompod at gmail.com. Our theme song is a remix of Freak Like Me from the Doomed Spider-Man musical. Till next time, keep it doomy. Arnold Drake had his thesaurus simile out. Or Arnold Drake had his... <laughs> Arnold Drake... Had his... Can you make this the tag, please? <laughs> yes. Okay. Arnold Drake had his thesaurus simile out. I still can't say it. Why? Can't... Thesaurus out? Yeah. What are you trying to say? No. Okay. Arnold Drake had his simile thesaurus out in this issue real hard. Remember what Hub mentioned of like, he has this, he has a thesaurus. <laughs> I can't say thesaurus tonight. <laughs> it sounds like it's a dinosaur. It is. A thesaurus? Yeah. A th- it is like a, it th- is like a dinosaur, Now right? I don't know how to say it. Is it th- thesaurus or thesaurus? It is thesaurus. It's like a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So Arnold Drake was working his similes real hard this episode. He was indeed. Yeah. <laughs>